This morning, our primary text is Hebrews 12, 4 through 11. Hebrews 12, 4 through 11. If you'll follow along, I'll read that for us today. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so, Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you that discipline is part of your love. We pray that you would give us wisdom and insight today. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you will help us to make sense of our situation in light of this text. And would you use your word to produce life in us? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I shared last week, and I'll share briefly today, when I was in my 20s, I taught kayak at a summer camp called Canacuck in Branson, Missouri. And all summer long, I learned how to kayak, and I taught kayak, and I kayaked all over Table Rock Lake, I think is what it was called. We enjoyed all that, and so I got this excitement for kayaking. And as I wanted to get more into kayaking, I just sensed the Lord saying no. And I was kind of irritated that he would deny me the opportunity to pursue a hobby. And so I would pursue it a little bit until I felt the conviction, and then I would ease back. And this went on for about 18 months. And every couple of months, it seems like I was clicking on a website or stopping by uh, an outdoor store or looking at a kayak or, or reading a blog or doing something related to this. And each time I felt my heart was pulling in this direction. And so finally, uh, the conviction increased, but I would just sort of put my hands to my ears, spiritually speaking, and just move on. And just continue to do it until one time we took a vacation to Sanibel Island in, uh, in South Florida. And we went on this trip and, and part, of the, uh, part of the time there was that we took a kayak trip through this one part of this area. And I was excited. I was, it was me getting to pursue what I thought I was enjoying and looking forward to. And, and sure enough, if you were here last week, you heard uh, about 10 minutes into this ride, I, I tumped over the, the kayak. I ruined everything, spilled all my bag, ruined my bag, backpack full of stuff. 
the, the entire kayak filled with water. I had to um, sort of swim it over to this big cypress stump, and I had a bottle of water that I emptied and, and just told the whole group to go on. I was humiliated. I was ashamed. I just sat there one water bottle at a time, emptying all the water out of it to get it buoyant enough for, for me to try to get it. Meanwhile, I'm thinking there's probably alligators all around, and I'm probably going to die out here. There's a snake. I'm sitting on a stump, soaking wet, smelly, embarrassed. Everything is ruined, and I'm just humiliated. And finally, after an hour, I got it ready to go again. I got in it, and I'm, I'm just trying to catch up to the group, but I'm embarrassed. You know what I mean? I'm going to face all these people, and, and the whole time before the trip, they were saying, oh, yeah, should we teach us something? Because, you know, didn't you teach kayak? And, and I was kind of, well, you know, humble brag. Yeah, it was pretty good. You know, but it was terrible. It was the worst experience. And so I caught up, and they had this great time. And, and by the time I got out to the middle of this sort of bay area, I just put my head down, and I just said, Lord, why did that happen? And I was humiliated, and I was frustrated, and I was angry, and this exact verse popped into my, my mind. This passage about uh, not regarding lightly the discipline of the Lord, no discipline seems pleasant, painful, every discipline seems uh, painful at the moment, but not pleasant, but later it yields the fruit. And, and the Lord just really clearly spoke to me from this passage and this was the idea that I took from, from what he said, is that the passion and the desire, the, the energy that you were spending on this hobby, I reserved that for myself. And I wanted, I want that same passion that you would have given to a hobby. I wanted it for me. And so that was what all those conviction moments were about. And so it was a real learning experience for me. It was painful. It was horrible. It was terrible. I was embarrassed. It was bad. Uh, I, I was a little bit injured, scraped up. I'm glad I didn't, uh, you know, it didn't get worse. But, but this passage gives us reason for this, and it helps us understand. And the main point of this passage you, you took away from the key word there was this word discipline. And to understand this passage, you have to understand the word discipline because previously I understood discipline in a negative way, in an unhealthy way. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had somebody discipline you in anger or discipline you unjustly or discipline you wrongly. Uh, maybe you were hit as a child. Maybe you were physically abused. Maybe you would do something small and, and off came the belt. Or, uh, or maybe in some ways your mother or your father just had a quick trigger and anything you did, you felt like you needed to walk on eggshells and that uh, you were going to be disciplined unfairly or unjustly or angrily or in some way somebody was going to discipline you. And, and reading this passage conjures up all sorts of negative emotions from your childhood or from maybe as a parent right now, you're starting to feel guilty that, that maybe you discipline a little too much in anger and maybe you aren't, aren't disciplining correctly. So we want to understand the word discipline so that you'll have a better understanding of this. Because if you think about this passage in context, remember chapter 10 of Hebrews, it says that, that, uh, that remember the days when you were being dragged off in prison and your property was being taken and, and they were, these were real people experiencing real persecution, real trials and real difficulty. And the author of Hebrews is connecting that trial and persecution and difficulty directly to the idea of discipline. 
And so you might say to yourself, well, uh, so maybe in this body of believers, I'm just sort of painting a picture. This isn't in the passage, but, but maybe this body of believers, uh, a wife had a husband that was dragged off and put in prison. Or maybe a, a couple had a, a business that they had worked all their life. And because of, their, uh, because of their willingness to name the name of Jesus and to publicly stand up and testify that he is their Lord, maybe that business was seized. Maybe their assets were taken. Maybe their property. Maybe they experienced beatings. But in some way, their temptation all through the book of Hebrews was to leave Christianity, to reject Jesus. And so the temptation for them was real. And so the author of Hebrews is tying that persecution, trial, and difficulty to the idea that God is disciplining you. And if you have the wrong idea of discipline, if you have the idea of an angry parent pulling a belt off and spanking a child in anger or correcting, then you're going to misunderstand who God is and why discipline is different than that image. So let's understand discipline first. I'm going to take about an hour to describe discipline. I'm just kidding. I won't do that. I'll just take a few minutes because it's an interesting word. It's the word paideia in Greek, and it's used six times, and it doesn't mean punishment. This does not mean punishment. Paideia is a Greek word that means training. So when you see it four times in this passage, I want you to think of training, and it is specific to children. It's used in Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The King James Version says in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. My kids like to quote this to me. Fathers, don't provoke your children uh, to anger. They'll tell me Ephesians 6, 4, and, I, and, uh, and I'll misquote it and say, I think it says fathers provoke your children. And, uh, and so we'll go back and forth. But the idea is that um, the discipline or the nurture or the admonition or the training or the correction that takes place, it's describing the process of a parent training a child. How many parents do we have out here? Just raise your hand if if you're a parent. Uh, How many times do you say something like, pick up your shoes or take your plate to the kitchen, rinse it off, um, scrape the food in the trash or something along those lines. Anybody, anybody else say that a thousand times a day? Um, right. That's this idea. It's correction. It's training. You want to send parents. The goal is that when they're 18, you shoot them out like an arrow, not a boomerang, right? Where they come back, uh, but that they go out. And as they go out, and they may have a college roommate or they, uh, Lord willing, have a spouse or something that in the process they are decent humans, right? <laughs> that they're not going to be slobs and, and they're not going to try. And so that begins in the home, right? It begins with this training. It begins with disciplining them. So it's not about punishment. It's about training. Second Timothy 3.16 is another example of this usage of this verse, of this word, paideia. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. It's the idea of training and instruction. The other four times in the New Testament is used in the passage that we just read. Verse 5, verse 7, verse 8, and verse 11. 
So this passage is going to teach us about this training that will take place. And I want you to see that when, whenever situation you're in right now, whether it's a trial, James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that these trials lead to perseverance, and the testing of your faith leads to endurance, that you may become mature and complete, lacking in nothing. It's James 1, 2 through 4. And the idea behind that is that you're either in a trial right now, or you just came out of a trial a minute ago, or you're about to go into a trial, right? Trials are just part of your life, and how can you make sense of it? If you misunderstand this passage, you think that God is punishing you. You did something wrong, and He's, he's going to get you. How many of you have this idea that God punishes you for your sins? That the continuing circumstances that you're in right now, that in your mind you think, yeah, I knew I wasn't going to escape from that. I knew I wasn't going to get off scot-free. Listen, that is not a gospel truth. The truth is that God did punish your sins. But He didn't punish you. He punished Jesus, right? All of the sins that you committed, He punished Jesus on the cross. There is a major difference between punishment and discipline. Punishment, scripturally, is for God's enemies. It deals with vengeance. It deals with justice. It deals for people who reject the offer of life and salvation and forgiveness. Punishment is different than discipline. Discipline is by a father. Discipline is to children. Discipline is love. Discipline is correction. Discipline is training. There are numerous times when I'll say something to my kids and, and, and I'll say it in a, a certain tone. And they'll say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll say, listen, you're not in trouble. This isn't punishment. This is correction. This isn't punishment. This is correction. I'm, this isn't, I'm not, you're not bad. I'm just correcting bad behavior because I love you, right? Because I care about you. Correcting this behavior. And so you don't have to apologize. This is just correction. It's not punishment. I appreciate that, but it's just correction. So if we have the wrong idea about discipline, if we have the idea that it's punishment, then we, we're going to misunderstand the character of God and the circumstances that you're in. So let's understand what it is. This passage reveals five things that I want to show us about discipline. The first thing is verses 5 through 6. Verses 5 and 6. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For, keyword, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastises every son whom he receives. This is from Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3 was written uh, as a father giving instruction to his children. And it teaches the father how to correct and train and discipline and help his children. That's quoted from Proverbs 3. And so the first thing I want you to equate this discipline and training with is love. It's number one. The first thing you need to know about discipline or training is that this proves God's love for you. I'll take you back to that warm day on Sanibel Island. Uh, an hour after my humiliating experience where I'm sitting there, Post-correction, post, post uh, the Lord speaking to me, sitting there, um, something interesting happened. 
as I was angry, as I was frustrated, as I was venting in prayer to the Lord. I don't know if you do that. I was just sharing. I figured he knows it anyway. I might as well just tell him how I feel. So I was in my spirit, like shouting, but just trying to keep it cool because there was a group of people around. But but they're saying something, and in my mind, I'm just you know angry, telling the Lord how angry I'm. I'm throwing a fit, throwing a pity party. I'm I'm angry, and so then he corrects me, and then he shows me this passage, and then as I begin to meditate on this passage. This echoes in my mind. I, I, I didn't have anything with me. Whatever I had was soaking wet. But, but I just this, the Holy Spirit revealing this word to me from this passage. He disciplines the one that he loves. And he chastises every son whom he receives. This, to me, demonstrated the love of God. And I can't remember ever feeling more loved by God in a period of that time, three to five years or so, other than this, I felt the love of God. My heart was warmed toward Him because in the midst of Him breaking me, in the midst of this experience, there was no violence, there was no punishment, there was no anger, there was no... This was God breaking me in a way that I needed to be broken in helping me to submit to him. And then as I was receiving that correction, he was filling me with with his spirit and with this idea of his affection, of his compassion, of his love. It was love that I experienced. And I never felt more loved in such a practical, almost surgical way than I did in that place in Captiva Island. So discipline, equate that with love. Training When God trains you, when he disciplines you, when you're in harmful circumstances, difficult circumstances, painful trials, whatever you're going through, just understand that this is evidence of God's love for you. Number two, the second thing I want you to see about this discipline or training from this passage is found in verse seven and eight. The author says it's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And so here's the basic idea. Number two, discipline is a sign of your salvation. Discipline is proof of your salvation. If you've never been disciplined, if you've never been corrected by the Holy Spirit, if you've said something that you immediately regret, as I did yesterday with a group of men in discipleship. I said something immediately, and immediately I said, I shouldn't have said that, and I said it, and there was a correction in my spirit, the Lord saying, you shouldn't have said that. You said it. You shouldn't have said it. Yes, Lord, you're right. Would you forgive me? I apologize. I apologize to the guys. I shouldn't have said that. It was flippant. It was disrespectful. If you haven't experienced the quickening of the Holy Spirit, if you haven't experienced... Him uh, convicting you in a moment. Reminding you of something you said. Reminding you of something you did. Reminding you of somebody you need to forgive. Reminding you of somebody you need to ask forgiveness. Reminding you of a relationship. That's the Holy Spirit's way of disciplining you. Correcting you. Training you. And it's a sign that you are not an illegitimate child. It's very stern language there. But the point is that He doesn't discipline those who aren't His own. He only disciplines his own children. 
John 1 says that to those who believed in him, to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of a natural way, but of the Spirit. So those who are his children, who have been bought by the blood of Jesus, that are in his family, that he calls, he tells us to call him Father, those are his children. And it's a sign that you are his children. There are two evidences of that in this passage. One says it's for discipline that you have to endure, right? So Jesus endured the cross. He scorned in shame. We read about that last week. Uh, Jesus endured. He pressed forward through the different trials. There's a doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. And that simply means that if you're a Christ follower, you will persist as a Christ follower until your last breath. It's also called the preservation of the saints and the idea that God holds you. That John 10, that He is the one who's holding you. That He will not reject you. That He will continue to walk with you. You remember in John 6, the disciples, uh, Jesus said hard words. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Spiritually speaking, there was no cannibalism there. right? But unless you do this, unless you take all of this in me, then, then you have no part with me. And, and the Bible says in John 6, 66, that many of, his, many of His followers just turned around and said, we're done. We're walking away. We're no longer going to follow him. So Jesus turned around and he was surprised that there were still followers to some degree because he said, you don't want to go away also, do you? And what did Peter say? Where else can we go? Where else are we going to go? You're the one with the words of eternal life. That's that perseverance, the discipline, the correction, the training that they will persevere. The second idea around this idea of discipline as a son of your salvation is that uh, that this verse 8, that if you have experienced discipline or training, then you are not a son, you're an illegitimate child. This was clear to me one day when I took, I don't know, 12 kids, 12 10-year-old boys out to Unami Creek. And if you've ever been out to Unami Creek, but it's this really cool place with huge boulders and water running through it in this creek and places where, you know, it's just fun. It's like a playground for kids. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I took, I took 10 or 12 boys there for a birthday party. And I asked for backup. I think Seth was there and another father was there and a lot of kids were there and kids from all different places. And, um, and we just packed into these vans and we drove out there and we were going to spend a couple of hours on these boulders and in this creek. And, and I noticed that there were a couple of kids that no matter what I said, they were just la, 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 la. I'm not going to hear you. I'm not going to. You say don't go in that area. I'm going to go in that area. You say don't jump off that rock. I'm going to jump off that rock. You say. And after a while, uh, I just thought, I don't care. It's not my kid. I mean, seriously, I was so fed up with this disobedient, rebellious kid that I clearly, there's 10 boys doing exactly what I said, obeying the instructions. And there's, there's one kid who. By the way, those kids don't get invited back, right? Uh, There's a way in which God blesses children and disobedient ones. Just they don't they don't get asked to do fun things by other families. (laughs) Um. I hit it it just he wasn't my kid. And so I just thought I'm going to do my best. I mean, I'm going to try to protect him. I don't want to take him to the E.R., uh, but if I tell him not to jump off that rock six times and he jumps off the rock, what can I do? What can I do? I'm just gonna, can I tie him down? No, I thought of it, but I can't do that. I can't do that. But the point I realized is that if I were to have said to my son, don't jump off that rock, 
He understands first-time obedience. He understands first-time obedience because, uh, because of godly examples in Julie and I's lives. And when we were first parents, we, we realized that, that discipline is meant to be corrective and it's meant to be painful because a child has to understand that they must obey you. James Dobson says by the time they're three, they have to know that you absolutely love them unconditionally and that they absolutely have to obey you. Those are two pegs that have to be driven deep. And so we, we thought... You know, Proverbs, spare the rod, spoil the child, uh, that, that you use discipline in a way not to be abusive, but to correct. And none of us respond to regular stimuli other more uh, effectively than we do pain, right? When you feel pain and discomfort in your life, you become teachable in a miraculous way. And so... It was important to us to try to discipline because we wanted our children that if they were running out into the street, we're not going to do some big countdown. It's not going to be five, four, you know, um, so one more time. No, 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 no. We just knew that we wanted no to mean no one time. And if it didn't, there were immediate consequences. And so with the first kid, you know, the fourth kid's always different. With the first kid, <laughs> you know, the first kid we sat down and, and uh, she would reach for something and we would, Thump her little finger, right? A year and a half old, and she's just got this quivery lip. But no meant no, and when she's disobeying, we wanted there to be enough pain so that no meant no, and that, that registered. Because what they disobey as a two and three year old, if that's not corrected, just wait till they get to be 12, 14, 16, 18, 25, 35. So when the Bible says that we're to discipline in a certain way, listen, I'm not talking about beating. I'm getting way off track. I'm not talking about beating kids or disciplining in anger. There are many times when I have to go back and say, I didn't, I didn't correct well there. I let my emotions get the best of me. I should have walked away. I, I didn't. Um, but corrective behavior in a biblical way is a sign of love and it's a sign that is your child, that you care about them and that you want the best for them. The third thing that you see about discipline and training in this passage is that it leads to life. Look at verses 9 through 10. Besides this, we had earthly fathers. He's going to argue from lesser to greater. He's going to give them an example that they can all understand. We've all had fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Maybe not in the immediate time, right? <laughs> Maybe we were a little angry that they disciplined us the way we did. But once we saw if they did it well, once we saw if they did it well, then, then they, there was a respect because we saw that they were trying to correct us. And so he says this, uh, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us. We respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and lived? They disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. You must know that God absolutely loves you. In Malachi, they doubted that God loved them. And it was one of his indictments against them, the prophet speaking for God. It was one of his indictments. You doubt that God loves you? Listen, this side of the cross, you should never doubt that God absolutely loves you. <coughs> Greater love has no man than this, that he what? He lays down his life 
for his friends. If you uh, are experiencing a trial, a difficulty, a, a hard time, it is because God loves you that you're in that situation. This passage describes, number one, not, not only that God loves you and absolutely is crazy about you, but that he is doing this for your good and it leads to life. Oftentimes, what he's correcting you from leads to death. See, correction, training, discipline, it's to shape your character, it's to shape your, your motives, it's to correct bad behavior, but ultimately, it's to career, correct from sin, because sin leads to death. Romans 8 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is death. The paycheck that you get for pursuing sin is death. And so if, there, if there's a sinful way in you, and God is disciplining you in a painful way, it's because He cares about you and He wants you to have life. Discipline leads to life. Uh, the fourth thing I want you to see about discipline and training is that it's painful. <laughs> right? Newsflash, you didn't need to know that. You already knew that. Uh, by this time, uh, many of you set a New Year's resolution, followed through for a week, and then at this point, you had a, a, a bad last week, right? <laughs> Statistically, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about them out there. Right? <laughs> Statistically, other people got a gym membership, went to the gym eight days in a row, uh, had a tough week, and then now, why? Because discipline is painful, right? When your alarm goes off and it's easier just to not turn it off and get up and go do something or it's it's easier not to go to the gym it's easier not discipline is difficult and painful and hard it's a hard thing to be under discipline to be under training the fifth thing i want you to see and finally the last thing is the product of discipline look at verse 11 for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. You engage in discipline. You engage in spiritual discipline. You engage in whatever circumstances you're in, whatever trial you're under, and you begin to acknowledge that God is trying to correct something in your life to train you in some way, to help you understand. Deuteronomy 8 is a great passage for this. If you want to jot that down, you can read that later. Deuteronomy 8 says, I led you in the wilderness all these ways so that I may test you, so that you may know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's God training them to hear His voice and to eat the words that come from His mouth. One of my kids asked me the other day, do you read the Bible every day? I said, I, I never miss a day. I haven't missed a day of Bible reading for a couple of years. Why? Because I know that my soul withers if I don't read the Word. It is food to me. I absolutely have to be in the Word. It's a, it preserves me. It fuels my relationship with God. Even if it's just one verse I read every single day. Because I've been through enough trials and pain and difficulty to know that I'd be lost. I'd be worthless without it. Discipline produces that fruit. It produces the fruit of peace and it produces the fruit of righteousness. You may be under a terrible circumstance right now and you may feel like God is punishing you. Listen, He already punished Jesus in your place. There is a difference between Him punishing 
and you experiencing the natural consequences of a bad decision or an ungodly decision. Those are different things. Either way, you are in exactly the situation that God wants you to be in today. It's not by accident. It's acute. Not cute. It's acute. It's pointed. It's surgical. And he's getting in there to get whatever cancer or sin or negative habit or destructive, death-producing, death-leading experience or habit or attitude that you're engaged in. And he is trying to get it out because he loves you. So if you're trying to endure through a very difficult situation, just know that God loves you and that this is good for you, even though it's painful and even though it hurts. The best thing you could do is cooperate with him. (laughs) The best thing you can do is cooperate. The worst thing you can do is continue to fight against it. Continue to run. Continue to struggle. Continue to fight against it. The best thing you can do is to submit. And so, Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the way in which you discipline your children, for the way in which you correct us and train us so that we may experience the fruit of peace and righteousness. We worship you for that, and we praise you that you are so good to us in that way. Would you give us hope today? Would you help us to endure well? Would you help us to persevere well? Would you help us to maintain our faith in Jesus Christ so that we may... At our final breath, say, I have run the race. I have fought the good fight. I have completed the race. And there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord has set aside for me. We pray that you would give all those going through difficult circumstances today endurance. In Jesus' name, amen.